Well, Gary mentioned uh, about Hannah, and I did want to uh, comment on that a little bit. Um, for those of you who saw the Weekly Word, how many of you saw this video on the Weekly Word of Hannah doing her one-footer? Uh, it's kind of impressive, I thought, and um, just super encouraged by that. Thought it'd be kind of fun. Um, she's been working on her on her one footer move there, but not all has been going according to play. Uh, last night, as I was uh, working on my message uh, for this morning, received a call from Katie, who's Hannah's friend and uh, who lives with us actually for the summer. They work together at West Rock. She told us that she had a, a serious wipeout. Uh, she was trying to do a backside 360 off the kicker, for those of you who know what that means. Um, I'm not sure if any of you know what that means, but um, she was trying to do that, and somehow she fell and hit her head, I'm not sure, on the board or water, I'm not exactly sure, but, but Katie called us and said she has a big headache, has a big headache now, and, and she doesn't remember her accident, and she keeps asking about what happened, and so we said, why don't you bring her home so we can kind of see her and see what was was happening and uh, during that time we're looking on the internet for symptoms about uh, um, a concussion and uh, you know you hear about these professional athletes all the time having a concussion I had had never understood quite what the symptoms are about that or seeing it I just think well it's a big headache but you can sort of keep playing again but anyway she stopped by home enough for us to see what was going on and Hannah was in the passenger seat of the car and she's slouched over with her hands over her head just talking about how much her, her head hurts and and asking repeatedly what what happened and so we called Brian Mulder who, who worked in the ER for a long time as a nurse she said um, you just need to take her to the emergency room because you never know if it's going to be bleeding inside and so we took her where she would have a, a C CT scan was the hope and so I got on my phone and I I called a couple of uh of emergency rooms uh, around the city, just kind of asking what, you know, are you busy now, how that is? And one said there were like uh, five people in the emergency room with a couple more coming, it'd be a couple hours. And I said, thank you. I called another one and said, no, we're not very busy at all. And so we went up there to Javon Bay Hospital and and uh, Katie and Yvonne went up there. And um, just to say this though, before she went, just with this text on my mind, I placed my hand on Hannah's shoulders and just prayed to God. I, I, I prayed really in light of, of our text today that the God who can raise the dead can certainly heal our daughter. I prayed his mercy towards Hannah, trusting that God would be gracious to her. Full acknowledgement that things are totally out of our hands, totally in God's hands. So really gave her the power of God, trusting in, in God's power through prayer, and uh, then sent them off to the ER, and uh, Yvonne and Katie went in there, and uh, just by God's grace, they were able to get in quickly. I'm not sure if concussion people, do they get in quickly often? Okay, okay, so you know, it wasn't unusual, but it was really good. It was one of the fastest ER visits ever, so, you know, if you break a leg or something, tell them also your head hurts, and maybe you'll get in kind of quicker. It would be, it'd be helpful, but uh, the CT was, was, uh, was no bleeding in her head, so that was good, so... Um, but I do have uh, an, an audio here that I think you might s sort of uh, um, laugh at and yet cry at the same time. Um, but just I want to. This is what a uh, uh, this is what 
a concussion really sounds like. And here I just got a, a picture of, of Hannah. She's here in the uh, emergency room, and Yvonne just got a camera rolling. And Katie, her friend, is talking to her about her backside 360. And you'll get just a sense of what it is. <clears throat> so I just want you to get an idea of what happened last night. So. So you just get a sense, I, I trust you could hear that okay, you just kind of see where, where she is, and um, she actually isn't here this morning, uh, she is at home with our other children, uh, she slept well last night, Steffi slept with her, and uh, woke up, uh, Hannah woke up and um, stirred her a few times asking about what happened, and just the same thing over and over again, and Steffi was fed up with it a little not, uh, enough, so that she went the next room over, and uh, so she's just confused and dazed. Uh, we just update this morning is that she is um, she slept. She was sleeping when we left, so we don't even know. But just just pray for her and uh, just ask you to to pray for her recovery. And really, that's a great application of our text today. If anything comes out, just says we need to pray um, because um, that's what we're going to see. We're going to see. Uh, someone prayed for and actually risen from the dead. That's why we sang so many resurrection songs this morning. Um, the, the text of my message this morning is Acts chapter 9, 36 through 43. You can, you can turn there. My message this morning is entitled the, the Raising of Tabitha. It's really one of two miracles here at the end of chapter 9 as we have, have heard about the conversion of Saul. And now we're getting back into Peter again, 9, 10, 11, and 12 before we pick up uh, the Apostle Paul again later in, uh, in chapter 13. Last week it was the healing of Aeneas, the paralytic who had been bedridden for eight years. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And Aeneas immediately responded. Immediately he rose up and presumably then he made his bed and walked out. And, and the revival, the, a revival stirred because of this miracle in all Lydda and Sharon where Peter performed this miracle, and many people, it says in chapter 9, verse 35, they turned to the Lord. 
And this morning, our text is almost exactly the same. We have another miracle, Peter performing, uh, which, which is actually the raising of uh, Tabitha from the dead. And this stirred a revival in Joppa, right, where Peter performed this miracle. And it says in chapter 9 and verse 42 that many believed in the Lord. Uh, but we see Peter, even in the process, really praying and trusting the Lord for this miracle. It's really our great application. It's a great application for just our trust this morning for Hannah as she seeks to recover. Um, but let's read the miracle. Acts chapter 9, verse 36 through 43. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room, and all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. When she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. And then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Well, we have eight verses this morning, and I just have eight words just to give you a, a little hook to hang our thoughts on this morning. Uh, one, one word for each, each verse, and my first word is this, is Tabitha. She's the woman around this whole story uh, revolves. She's introduced there in verse 36, where it says this, Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. So we find Tabitha having two names. One is Dorcas and one is Tabitha. Uh, Dorcas is her Greek name and her Hebrew name is Tabitha, just like the Apostle Paul. Paul was his Greek name and Saul was his Hebrew name. And, and so as we think this morning, we can refer to Dorcas, to Tabitha in two different ways. Either call her Tabitha or call her Dorcas. And um, so in, personally in my mind, I think Tabitha wins out. And I think in eternity, she will thank me that I preached this message calling her Tabitha and not Dorcas, is what I, what I think. But anyway, like Aeneas last week, all we know about this woman is right here in this passage. Nowhere before did, the, did she show up, and she's going to show up here, and then afterwards she's not going to show up at all. And so we don't know much about Tabitha, but what we know is enough, and, and we see that she's quite a woman. First of all, she lived in Joppa. It says there in verse 36, now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha. Joppa is along the, the Mediterranean Sea. It's a familiar place in Bible times. It's where Jonah fled to get away from the presence of the Lord because, remember, he was going to the sea. So he, he went down to Joppa and found a, sh a ship heading to Tarshish across the Mediterranean Sea. Today it's uh, where uh, Tel Aviv is. If you fly into Israel, you will fly into Joppa you fly into Tel Aviv at Ben-Gurion Airport, and, and from there, if you're going to Jerusalem, you will, will drive um, up, up the mountains. Um, it's kind of the, the, everything goes in and out of Tel Aviv, which is right where Joppa is. 
So we see that she lived in Joppa, but secondly, we find out that she was a disciple. Literally, a disciple means a learner. She was sort of a, a student, if you will, <clears throat> but more than just a, an academic student, just one who is committed to following in the ways of her master. Uh, it's the name, um, it's the term used in the book of Acts most often to describe followers of Jesus. Sometimes, like five times, Acts describes followers of Jesus as believers, but like 26 times, the book of Acts describes a follower of Jesus as a disciple. And, and it gives you an indication what it means to follow Jesus. What it means to trust in Jesus is to be his disciple. Not just to believe in him, but to follow after him in his ways. Indeed, that's what Tabitha did. If, indeed, if you look at the end of verse 36, it says this, that she was full of good works and acts of charity. That is a sign of a follower of Jesus. You remember Ephesians 2, 8, 9? So that great verse about salvation, for by grace we've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one may boast. We're, we're saved by grace through faith. We're, we're saved by God's grace, right, to, as he shows us that it's all of himself, and he does it through faith as we believe and trust in Jesus and his sacrifice upon the cross for our sins, but it's all God's work, and that's even what Paul says, is that, that it's not your own doing. It's a gift of God. God grants faith. He grants repentance. He grants us salvation all by his grace that we might not boast. But, but that's not all that God does. God just doesn't save us to bring us to heaven. He saves us so we might shine forth the light of Jesus. He changes us so as we might bear fruit. I've heard it said this way, we're saved by faith alone, but that faith is never alone. Meaning that, right, we are saved by faith, we're not saved by works, but when that faith is genuine, it works itself out in works. It's kind of a sign, a demonstration of faith. That's what Ephesians 2.10 says. It says that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, we're saved by grace, but when God saves us, he, like, he likes works in us, like a craftsman might craft a tool that then we can go out and do these works that he has prepared before us. And that's exactly what Tabitha was doing. She was walking, as it says, in good works. She was full of good works. Good works just flowed out of her and also with acts of charity. That is, she was doing good, especially to the poor. It's kind of challenging for all of us, right? When you think about the good works that you do, do you think about the poor in relation to those good works? What are you doing for the poor? Jesus said, the poor you'll always have with you. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And that's what Tabitha was doing. He, she had a heart for the poor, because that's where God's heart is. Deuteronomy 15, verse 11, There will never cease to be poor in your land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, to the poor in your land. That's what Tabitha was doing. She was open-handed with the poor and helping them. Well, that's Tabitha, quite a woman. But in verse 37, we see that she died. There's my, my second word there is death, verse 37. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they washed her, they laid her in the upper room. Now, we don't know the illness. We don't even know exactly how old Tabitha was. In verse 39, however, she is defined or she is identified as a widow. And so most assume that she was probably an older woman. I have no reason to doubt that especially as all the other widows were around her in verse 39, weeping and showing the tunics to Peter that, that she had made. An older widow has oftentimes older widow friends. Um, but the practice of Bible times is for widows to marry again. 
especially if they're young. 1 Timothy 5.9 is where Paul commands that. And we see a believer here. If she was a, a believer, she would have followed in, in that way probably to have, have married someone else. Because it's hard for a woman to make it in biblical times alone. And um, so those, those days, it's a lot easier in our day than it is in, in those days. Anyway, she, got, she was ill and died. She was dead. She wasn't asleep. She wasn't in a coma. She was dead. And uh, the common practice of the day was to bury people quickly. They didn't have any embalming back then, usually within a day or two of their death, right? They, they, they died, and that night they would be in the grave, or, or maybe then carry over uh, the next day. But as decay sets in fairly quickly, bodies were in the ground. And, and we see here in verse 37, again, not out of the ordinary, is that they, they washed her body, and later in the guest room, which is the, the upper room, in those days, they didn't have uh, funeral homes, which they could put death right out of, out of sight and out of mind and kind of put it out over there. No, it came into the home. And uh, they're just right in the guest room. They laid the body and just were, were thinking about her and um, were reminiscing about her, as we shall see with all these widows around. Now, the one thing that's interesting here that's, that's lacking here is that they simply washed the body. They hadn't begun the the process of anointing uh, the body for burial, smothering it with pounds of perfume so that as it goes into the tomb and uh, decays, that it wouldn't set off such a huge stench, but the perfume would combat that. Because they didn't necessarily bury um, the bodies back then, even what they do is they put them in a cave for a year, and then they go after the second year and gather all the bones and put them in an ossuary. So it's as long as the femur and as wide as uh, your head and as tall as fits. So it's about you know these size is, is how big ossuaries are. So they, they're laid there. That's why they perfume the bodies. But they hadn't done that yet. They, they just washed it. And they sent for Peter. We see that in verse 38. And since Lydda was near Joppa... Probably about a, a three-hour walk, perhaps, is about the, the distance there, is uh, what it was, just a couple of miles. Um, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. My, my third word here this morning is asking. That's what they did with Peter. They, they asked him to come. In fact, they asked him to come quickly. They heard that he was in Lydda. Um, Verse 38, the disciples hearing that, that Peter was there, and if you remember, he was there when he healed Aeneas, the, the paralytic. And, and no doubt the, the rumors, uh, the true rumors, I guess, of the, the news spread quickly to those in Joppa that they heard what was going on, and they heard that there was this miracle worker, Peter, up in Lydda, and uh, he was there, and, and maybe he could, could come, and perhaps even these men were asking for another miracle to take place. Like, I think that's what they were asking for. I think that's why they didn't anoint the body with perfume yet. They just washed the body, pleading him to come without delay. Like, come now. We need you now. And I think they were pleading, hoping, hoping that he would um, raise her from the dead. And he wasn't, they weren't asking him to come and do the funeral service. You know, from time to time, uh, I receive calls from people across the city asking me that very thing. In fact, even just that this week, I received a call from a gentleman asking me to perform a, a funeral service. How much would I charge for such a service? And I have a, enough to do. It's not my regular practice to accept that to do funeral services for, for strangers. Who I, don't, I don't need a side gig of uh, being a, a funeral service guy. You know, there, there are other people who can do that just well. Um, I prefer to do that people I know or people, a connection with people that I know rather than I'm just not 
That's not what I'm doing. But I don't think these men were asking Peter to do this. They were asking him for a miracle. And Peter was more than willing to come. He was more than willing to travel the few hours. And so we see in verse 39 that Peter rose and went to them. It seems like the, the sense is that he went quickly. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. And all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. I'm simply calling this point mourning. Not mourning as in 10 a.m., but mourning as in weeping for the dead. So only a natural response to a loved one who's died is mourning that death and, uh, and, and sorrowing over our loss. Yes, we should not grieve as Gentiles. We have no hope because believers in Jesus, as uh, Tabitha was, would be in the presence of Christ and would be rejoicing there. And so we need not write sorrow for them who are with Christ. But we need to, we sorrow for ourselves. And so that's what Peter encountered. He encountered this crowd of widows all around mourning the death of Tabitha. And, and they, they talked to Peter about Tabitha, as people do during a, a funeral. Oftentimes we have pictures up for a funeral of someone's life and what they did. And, and in this case, it wasn't the, the pictures that they had back then, but they just had her remnants, her articles, the, the tunics and the garments that she had made during their life. And maybe those were in the room of the house, and maybe some of the widows had brought them from their homes um, just to show and to celebrate as people, whatever, would bring things or memorabilia to a funeral. That was happening here, and, and all this would have been totally natural. Um, but I can't help to think that Peter got the sense of deja vu exactly what was happening because this sort of same request or this sort of same thing had happened before you remember the story of mark chapter 5 when jesus was was ministering in galilee and and jairus the ruler of the synagogue came to jesus and implored him saying my little daughter is at the point of death could you come and lay your hands on her so that she might be live she might be made well and live so mark 5 23 says and and so there's this request that came to Jesus. And so Jesus went to Jairus' house. And you remember along the way, she, he encountered this widow who had an issue of bleeding for, for 12 years, the same time that this uh, little girl had been alive. And she thought that if I just touch his garments, I'll be made well. And so even there in the, in the big crowds, the, uh, the woman just touched the garment of Jesus and was instantly healed and made well. And and there was a whole commotion about someone touched me. And the disciples are, how do you, there's lots of people around. And so, so Jesus on his way to Jairus' house was delayed just a little bit by this encounter with this woman. And he said, your faith has made you well. And she went. And, and just as soon as that whole event was, was finished, Jesus was ready to go. And about that time, uh, a man from the ruler's house said, your daughter's dead. You don't need to trouble the teacher anymore. But overhearing... What was said, Jesus said to Jairus, says, do not fear, only believe. And so, now I read from Mark 5, 37 to 43, and just sense the, the parallel here, the deja vu that Peter must have experienced. Mark 5, verse 37. And Jesus allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. So even all the crowds, they were there. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. They knew what death was. Right? They, they, they knew that he, the child had died. Put them all out. 
took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. So here was Jesus and Peter and James and John and the child's parents, Jairus and Mrs. Jairus. And then with this child there, Jesus, taking her by the hand, said to her, Talitha Kumi, which is Aramaic for little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. I'm sure this scene was in the mind of, of Peter as he was in this room with his corpse before him, and, and all these people, all these widows crying and weeping, and having been summoned to this place by some men, and we don't know exactly what their request was, but uh, may have well have been just like that of Jairus. Right? They knew of Jesus. They knew of Peter's power. Right? And they knew perhaps he could raise from the dead. And, and, and though here the corpse before him was older than a 12-year-old girl, he did exactly what Jesus did. Verse 40, Peter put them all outside. So this time Peter doesn't have Peter, James, and John and others. It's not like four or five around. He put them all outside, and there's Jesus alone in this room with he and this corpse right before him. And Peter does what Jesus didn't do. He knelt down and prayed. Now, in, in some regard, Jesus didn't have to pray. He simply commanded the girl to rise from the dead, and she rose. But Peter, not being the God-man that he was, just being a mere mortal, was in a different situation. He, he needed the power of Jesus to see Tabitha raised from the dead, and so he prayed. That's what I'm calling here in verse 40, prayer. It's really the, the heart of our passage, the heart of application here this morning is, is prayer. Because we cannot accomplish the work of God without prayer. We cannot accomplish the work of God without prayer. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing, John 15. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Right? So that means we need to be with Jesus so we can do something. Now, churches all across our, our land and world can do many things without prayer. They can organize events. They can gather people and people speak and teach and have results and more people come, more activities surrounding the church. But the work of God can only be done through prayer. Oh, lots of stuff can be done, lots of religion, lots of excitement, but the work of God can only be done through prayer. Someone has well said, you can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Right? After you've prayed, you, you can do a lot. You, you can do more than just pray. But until that point, you cannot do more than pray. Pray must be, prayer must be first if ever we're going to do a, a work of God. And I think Peter knew this. We need to understand this. We need to embrace this. Especially when it comes to, say, evangelism or, or ministry. People are dead in their sins. They need, as Ephesians 2 says, to, to be made alive from their dead state. And that can only happen as we pray to God and God stirs in their hearts. Peter knew he had no power in himself to raise this widow from the dead. He knew that power had to come from Jesus and Jesus alone. And we saw that last week with the healing of Aeneas. Remember verse 34? Look what Peter said. He said, Aeneas... Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. Very clear that Peter knew it wasn't himself. It was Jesus Christ who heals Aeneas. We saw that with uh, the lame beggar at the, the gate named Beautiful in Acts chapter 3, verse 6. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I command you to walk. 
See, it's Jesus who gives the power to do these miracles. But since Tabitha was dead at this moment, right, he couldn't command her to walk. She was dead. And so Peter prayed to the Lord. He prayed to the one who could hear his prayer. Now, if, if you've been working to memorize any of the fighter verses that we just put out there all the time, I've been really working to work through all of those this year. Um, just encourage you to set your minds on that. Just get, get the fighter verses app. Um, but the, the verse this week is Psalm 86, 5 through 7. And, and it's really stirred me to prayer in a way that's really been, been unique in some, some regards recently. Psalm 86, 5 through 7, it's, it's David praying. He's talking about how he's poor and needy and he just needs God to, to help him. And then he says, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. And, and, and surely Peter knew that. Peter knew the, the steadfast love of the Lord. Peter knew that the, the pleas for grace come to him. And he knew that God answers prayer. But the thing that's really struck me, I talked about in our prayer meeting this morning for just a few moments. It says, for you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. If you're not calling upon the Lord, the promise of steadfast love is not there upon you. You're abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. It's just really been stirred by that. If I want the abundant, steadfast love of God to come upon me, it comes upon me because I'm one of those who call upon Him. And if you're not calling upon Him, what reason do you expect the steadfast love to be falling upon you? Because He abounds in steadfast love to all who call upon Him. And so Peter knew that, the steadfast love of God, the mercy of God, and so Peter prayed to the Lord. And so... Also this week, been thinking about Peter's situation, right? They're alone in the upper room, and he's on his knees, kneeling at the bed of this precious saint, Tabitha. She wasn't talking. She wasn't moving. She wasn't breathing. Uh, on the way home from the hospital last night, as Zavon came home, I, I, I met her in the driveway, and uh, Hannah was passed out. I mean, you see her in the emergency room, and she was like talking and talking and talking. I think that the uh, adrenaline that she was just stirring there, but when she was home, she was like, she was wiped out. You know, sometimes your kids were like two years old, and they're like wiped out like this. You kind of pick them up, and you kind of slap them or kind of try to wake them up, and no can do. That's a little bit like what Hannah's situation was in last night. And it was kind of scary a little bit. That's why I called you, Brian. And, and um, But... I did see her breathing, kind of, and Yvonne was checking her pulse to make sure her pulse was still going because it was a scary time. But I could see her chest go. <sighs> she was just in this deep, deep sleep last night. And so we put a wet towel on her even just to wake her up and so that she could walk in into our house. But not so with Tabitha. Tabitha was there, and, and rather than being warm, um, although Hannah was kind of cold and clammy, but at least she was something, um, but she, Tabitha was out, no breathing, no movement. Peter was there, perhaps quietly for the Lord, and the corpse making no noise. I picture Peter in total desperation, totally alone. It's him and the Lord. There's no one to give him back up when he prays, no one to say, mm-hmm, or amen. He's just there before the Lord. I, I picture him praying. Amen. I, I picture that picture. It's John Knox who said, uh, a man is what he is on his knees, and that's all he is. In other words, right, your, your praying is, is all you are. 
when it comes to the Lord. And he was on his knees and praying, and that's just who he was. And we don't know what he prayed. We don't know how long he prayed. It couldn't have been long because everyone outside the door, and maybe you could hear them downstairs a, a little bit. Uh, we, we don't know. And, um, but it's also interesting that it's not long prayers that God delights to hear, but it's the effectual, fervent prayer that, that God likes to hear. And James 5.16 says, The effective prayer of the righteous man has great power. And I think that's the effective prayer of Peter's prayer. It was powerful enough to raise Tabitha from the dead. Look at verse 40. It says this, after he prayed, turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she, she sat up. Now, what's so interesting about these words is that that it's so parallel to what Jesus said, except for one letter. Remember what Jesus said to the little girl? He said, Talitha kum. Talitha in Aramaic just means little girl, and kumi just means arise. And if Peter was speaking Aramaic, which we have reason to believe, Peter would have said, Tabitha kumi, rather than Talitha kumi. Tabitha arise, not the little girl, but the Tabitha. Not the Talitha, but the Tabitha. Not that that's significant other than just, just, just Peter like, like reliving this moment and maybe just the, the vision of that little child being raised from the dead was, was coming up in his mind and, and she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she, she sat up and I'm not sure who was more surprised, whether she was or whether Peter was. I mean, maybe Peter was full of faith, but certainly if you're going to pray for this, there certainly is probably some measure of doubt, I would imagine. But here, can you imagine the thrill of Peter? I mean, this, this sort of thing doesn't happen every day. In fact, this is the only time in the ministry of Peter that we ever read of him praying for someone and, and rising from the dead, and then he witnesses it taking place right there in the upper room. And, and my bet is that Peter was far more thrilled to see Tabitha than Tabitha was to see Peter, because if you, you think about her experience, she was in the presence of Jesus, seeing his face, in all his glory. She had run her race. She had finished her course. She had kept the faith and she was enjoying her reward. And then she's called back and to look at the face of, of Peter. And I think if anything, she was disappointed. Peter may have been thrilled. She was probably disappointed. Not, not that Peter was so ugly. Not seeing this, oh, but, but anything pales in significance to the, the glorified Jesus. And if anyone could have ever written a book, I went to heaven and came back. She could have written that book, but she didn't. And in fact, we read of no words ever coming from her mouth. Just verse 40 says, she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up, just like Jesus did with that little girl, Talitha Kumi, taking her little hand and having her rise up. And then, calling the saints and widows, he presented to her alive. We, we know of nothing that she said. But this is my sixth point, just thinking about the resurrection, thinking about the, the rising, thinking about Tabitha rising from the dead. Just embrace the wonder of this text. Here was a woman who was dead, and she'd come to life. It's not the sort of thing you see every day, is it? Don't think so. In fact, it's not the sort of thing even you read about much in the Bible. Now, throughout the Bible, only a handful of examples of this. Both Elisha and Elijah performed a miracle like this. They took a child and saw them raised from the dead. 
Jesus raised three people from the dead. A little boy, a little girl, and Lazarus, his close friend. So let's get Elijah and Elisha, and Jesus got three. So we got five so far. Paul raised Eutychus. We'll, we'll find that in Acts chapter 20 after he wrote, uh, fell out of the window. It's partly his fault because he preached so long. Good thing we have just one floor here. That's good news for all of you and good news for me because I don't think I could do that. But we got six. Of course, Jesus rose from the dead, but that really wasn't a ministry thing. Like no one was praying over Jesus to have him rise from the dead. And, and there was uh, Elisha when a, a body was thrown on his dead body rose up. And there were some that raised up uh, when Jesus um, was put to death and when he when he died and when the veil was torn in two, Matthew 27 speaks about some tombs, some uh, people coming up from the tomb. But, but I count just six people that are parallel. Peter, I guess, would be the seventh uh, of, of praying for dead people and seeing them rise from the dead. It's not a, it's not a majority. It's not like people had this as a constant thing in their life. And you would misapply this text if you think that we should imitate the apostles, that we should imitate Peter and pray for people who have dead that they might rise from the dead. Now, I know this happens. I know one story personally of a, of a family that I knew. That their young daughter passed away from cancer. And this family was desperate, and they had charismatic tendencies, and they called in a preacher from across the country, like from Oklahoma or something like that, to come to perform this funeral service for their daughter. And, and our family, we would have been at this service, except that we were out of town on vacation. And, uh, but I was told about this funeral service, because it was so weird from some of my other friends, this preacher turned to the corpse and commanded this little girl to rise from the dead. Not once, but, but twice and several times, right? Arise from the dead, arise from the dead, rise up, get up. And of course, the child didn't move. And uh, family left in sorrow, having this great hope of their daughter being raised from the dead. And I fear that's a common practice in some circles. You didn't research it a lot, but it leads people astray to be disappointed with their, their wrong expectations. We ought not to read this text and think that this is our task. As, as believers in Jesus, we should go and raise all these people from the dead, especially with so few biblical examples of this. And, and further, right, the Bible nowhere records a story of someone trying to raise someone from the dead only to have them stay dead. So it's not like any of Jesus' miracles, the apostles' miracles ever failed. Um, but we aren't to read this account of, of Tabitha rising, its example, but read it in context, right? Acts is all about the expansion of the church. The church is booming and going forth. The New Testament isn't written yet. All they have is the Old Testament, and they have the oral message of Jesus. And, and, and this, this uh, gospel started in Jerusalem for the first seven chapters of Acts. And then in chapter 8 with Philip, it starts going to Judea in the north and Samaria, I'm sorry, Samaria in the north and Judea in the south. It starts expanding. And then Saul, even on the road to Damascus, is even getting up there. And, and now in chapter 9, it's getting down to Lydda and Sharon. And now it's going across to the sea. And as the, the gospel's expanding out, these signs and wonders are done to authenticate the apostles' uh, credibility. In fact, that's what Hebrews 2, 4 says this. Hebrews 2, 3 and 4. The salvation was declared first by the Lord, and then it was attested to us by those who heard, 
while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. In other words, in other words right, the, the great miracles the apostles did, the, the raising of Tabitha from the dead, the, the healing of Aeneas was, was mostly just confirmation that these men indeed had walked with Jesus and had a spiritual power through which they were trusting in the Lord. And the word is true. You should believe their message because their actions demonstrate their authenticity authenticity. And indeed, right, it, it worked in Joppa long ago. Look at verse 42. It says this, and it became known throughout all of Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. My, my point here, number seven, is just this, believing, right? When this miracle became known, many people believed in the Lord. That, that's exactly what we saw last week. If you look at verse 35, all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, that is Aeneas, this man who had been bedridden for eight years, and they turned to the Lord. And here, verse 42, it became known throughout all of Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And really here, at this point, the application is this, do you believe in the Lord? Uh, I've made known this miracle to you. Do you believe in the Lord? The, the miracle was made known to them, and they heard about it, and they responded. Really, the, the application of the text this morning is a, is a call to faith. It's a call to believe. And your faith and belief will be manifest really in, in praying and calling upon the Lord and entrusting Him and entrusting with your whole heart Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. That's surely the message that, that Peter preached and many believed in the Lord. And then we see just my final point really quick, and this is going to lead up into chapter 10 next week. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon a Tanner. Now, lots of things we'll talk about here, but, but here is God just putting Peter in this home in Joppa. I'm not sure why of all places he chose Simon the Tanner. Uh, a Tanner is one who works with, um, with dead animals and takes the skins off of them and the pelts off of them. And, and uh, in doing so, is working with these dead animals, which from a Jew, a Jewish perspective, are unclean. And so here you have Peter staying with this unclean man, and uh, perhaps even this man, Simon, may have been a Gentile. We don't exactly know, but, but here he is, right, just beginning, though, to think about the Mosaic Law and, and what's implications of that, because we're going to see, right, just in terms of, of eating and drinking next week as this vision comes to Peter, just kind of a, a little taste of what's going to happen in chapter 10 is the gospel then going to go to the Gentiles and uh, going to overcome the prejudices of Peter. And even here, he's, he's staying at this man's home, some of his prejudices or maybe some of his thinking through some of the Old Testament laws and the Jewish um, traditions just starting to break down a little bit. So the gospel is so different than what was taking place in the Old Testament. This is a time of transition. But it's a time for us to really believe and trust and pray and give thanks to the Lord. Is that where you are? Is that your heart? Do you really trust that, that God's steadfast love is abundant to those who call upon Him? Let's pray to God.